All right. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Luke chapter 22. And if you don't have a Bible, you know, you want to, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you and you can keep it. But today we continue our study as we're heading towards the cross of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it would be good for us rather than just, you know, flying by these things to really take this to heart and to slow down, you know, because there's no, there's no, you know, better, you know, thing to focus on. There's no better person to fix our eyes on than Jesus Christ and the cross, the great cross of Calvary, you know. And so I believe that when we, you know, begin to understand the cross and the love and the blood and what Jesus has done, that that will just, uh, it will spill over into a life of sacrifice. It will spill over into a life of appreciation, a life of gratitude. You know, and if you don't have that hearted, if you don't have that, that sanctification and that surrender and that passion, you know, and that willingness to lay it all down, then chances are you don't realize that that's exactly what God has done for you. You know, and that's why it's so cool to study the cross and, and the things leading up to the cross and just to see, you know, Jesus Christ. You know, the Father points to him. The Spirit points to him. And the Bible says we're to fix our eyes on him. One day we're going to be home in heaven. Think about that. In heaven. And I don't know about you. I don't know what you're looking forward to. But to be honest with you, the one moment in heaven that I look forward to the most is seeing Jesus Christ. You know, we know the Father is spirit. We're not going to be able to see the Father. The same with the Spirit. We know we're going to fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, but we're going to see our Savior. And I can't wait for that day, you know. And I really want to pray that you guys would have this heart. This is not just like a church or a religion or some type of program. This is about a person. His name is Jesus and what he's done for us. And that right there is just the difference between all the things that you see going on out there and what God really does in here, where it goes from here to here. It's not just mental. It's in the heart. It's not just superficial. It's real. It's genuine, you guys. And that's why we got to come and just really see what the Lord has done for us. And, And it's so cool because, you know, the Lord Jesus, of course, we know he came, he was born, he walked this earth, and then... You know, he had three years of ministry, and, you know, he told us to to do things, but he never told us to do anything he himself didn't do, huh? He said, you take up your cross. Did he take up his? I mean, everything, you name it. It could be the fasting. It's even the prayer life we're going to see today, and we see it so so beautiful, so modeled so beautifully in our Lord. And so we're going to learn a few things about prayer today, and we're also going to learn a few things that can get in the way of us really taking up our cross. But remember this, man, you guys, as we endeavor to stand before men, as we endeavor to stand in the face of temptation, we will not stand. You cannot stand unless you have first knelt before God. And that's kind of what we see today. Because look what it says in Luke 22, beginning in verse 39, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, it says, coming out, it says, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. 
And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now, in order for you to get a full picture, you need to read Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John chapter 18. And then you can harmonize the Gospels and you find, you know, all the things, the way it really went down. You know how uh, they had sung the, the hymns, right? Then they travel, John says, over the brook Kidron. They go up to the Mount of Olives. And then as they're there at the Mount of Olives, they come to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's what we see them here heading out. And it says right there in verse 39 that he was accustomed to come to this place. And so his disciples followed him. And then when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, according to William Barclay, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem was so compact that there wasn't any room for gardens. And so the well-to-do, the rich, they would have gardens up in the Mount of Olives. And so apparently Jesus knew somebody who had some money, somebody that was well-to-do. And basically what they did is they basically said, hey, you know, if you ever need a place to hang out and go and pray and meet with your disciples or meet with your father, I want you to know that my garden is always available to you. You know, kind of like if you ever have a friend and, you know, they have a little bit, usually, usually it's a little bit more money and they have a swimming pool like during the summer, right? And they say, hey, if you ever want to go swimming, man, come on over. Or just maybe the gate's open. It's all yours. Now, of course, this is not just playing, though. This is praying. And here we see Jesus having that access to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, it's real interesting when you look at this right here. Because what you find is that the Lord brought at least the 11, maybe more. And then he had them stay right there at that portion of the garden. And then he brought, according to the scriptures, uh, Peter, James, and John, the three that would sometimes, you know, see the things that others didn't see. They were maybe a little closer to him, closer friends, really pouring into these leaders probably was the real reason. And he said, you guys can come a little farther. And then he told them as they sat right there, he says, you guys, you need to watch and pray. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And then it says that he went a, a stone's throw away, uh, which is like, you're like, how far is a stone's throw? Well, it depends on how good of a thrower you are, I guess, right? Some of these guys in the major leagues, man, they can throw maybe like 200 feet or something, right? But the main point is this, and I think what the Holy Spirit was trying to say is that he was far enough to be alone with the Father. And, you know, the, the thing that I love about the Lord, and, and, and I need to emulate this, is that um, he, he had no problem, you know, going away, drawing away, getting away, even pushing away others 
when he had to spend time with his father. Huh? Remember in John chapter 6, you guys remember after they wanted to make him king and all these things were going on, it says he sent the multitudes. He said, go away, you know. And then he even told his disciples, go away, go on the other side of the lake. He put him in the boat. And then what did he do? He went away to do what? To pray, right? And that's the heart that our Lord had And we're going to see that that's the heart that we need to have. I want to focus primarily on what he did for us. But I have to be true to the text. And at the same time, understand that he was challenging us to do the same. You know, we see Jesus. His prayer life was amazing. He would pray all night sometimes. He'd wake up before the sun, before the sun would rise, and he would just spend time in prayer, right? He was constantly there. As a matter of fact, it says that this was his custom. Other versions say this was his habit as he normally did. I mean, he was constantly there seeking the Father. And, you know, you and I, we really need to do the same. We really do. You know, how, if I could just ask you, you know, how is your prayer life? You know, for a lot of you here, you're doing good. You're doing pretty good. You know, but probably for for a lot of us here, you know, that's an area of your life that for some reason you just haven't overcome yet. Why not? Why can't you spend time in prayer, on your knees, on your face, when you have time to do everything else that you do in life? Why? Well, I know for sure it's a battle. The enemy doesn't want you to do that. You say you can do anything else, just don't do that. But I think a lot of times it's because, you know, we just don't realize how important this time with the Lord is. And if you're here and you're struggling with your prayer life, I pray that today, boom, today, everything would change. Because maybe you're here and you're not sleeping physically, but maybe you're sleeping spiritually and you don't even know it. You're asleep. You're asleep. The church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. And God says, you've got to wake up. You know, for some of us, it's a physical thing. It's literally a physically thing. You can't wake up in the morning, huh? How many of you here, how many times do you hit your snooze button? For some of us here, right? We're like, oh, man, I don't want to wake up. And you can't get blanket victory, right? You can't get out of bed. And God says, man, my son rose from the dead, and you can't even get out of bed, right? I mean, it's amazing to me. Keith Green is actually the one that said that, Right? You know, you guys, how can we overcome that? Well, I would say you have to, first of all, realize how important it is, how important it is to pray, you know, to know that if you will ever take up your cross, which, again, is another problem that we have as Christians, you know, even though it's the basic, fundamental, underlying call, core from the very beginning for all Christians He said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We don't even want to do that, but we won't be able to do that until we cultivate this time of prayer. Because before Jesus went to his cross, before he offered up his life, he offered up his prayers. And that was really the key to victory. We're going to see that it was this victory in the garden that really wrought the victory at Calvary. And you'll never be able to stand before men and the temptations of the devil unless you first learn to kneel 
before God in prayer. You know, maybe you need to get to bed earlier. It, it doesn't take like rocket science, you know. <laughs> you want to wait? I want to wake up early and spend time with the Lord. Four o'clock. Jesus did it before the sun rose. Then, dude, why are you going to bed at two o'clock, you know? How much, pray, how, much, uh, how much time do you need to sleep? Oh, I need six hours. Then do the math, bro. Wake up at four, get to bed at ten. Whatever it is, you'd be surprised. You, when you really get serious about these things, you know, it's talking eating right, you know, exercise. Some of you here are like, dude, I don't have a problem, you know, with that. I, I can't sleep, <laughs> you know. I'm sorry my heart goes out to you. But for a lot of us here, I think we need to memorize the scripture. The Bible says, do not love sleep. How many of you here love sleep? Okay. <laughs> no, actually, there's a time to sleep. Okay, so I don't want to confuse you. But we can't love it. Do not love sleep. The Bible says, open your eyes and you'll be satisfied with bread. And that's not just a physical thing. That's a spiritual thing, right? But here we see the Lord right here as he's teaching. It's just so cool. He's teaching us not just by, you know, do what I say, but I, I love the fact he's just like, do what I do. And that is so important, you know. It's so important. Here we see they come out, they go, this place they always would go. He tells them to pray that they wouldn't enter into temptation. And that's part of the model prayer, right? Remember, lead us not into temptation. And what that means is that, Lord, do a work in our life so that our testings don't become transformed into solicitations for evil. Lord, do that work, right? And and then he says right there, and then he withdrew a stone's throw. He knelt down and he prayed. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There is so much here. Um, We could spend forever But let me just give you guys a few things about Jesus' prayer here that I think uh, are so important. Number one, Jesus prayed honestly. He prayed honestly. When I read that, I don't know about you, but I kind of trip out on that. You know, it's kind of a mystery to me when I see Jesus uh, asking the Father to take the cup away. Is that okay to pray? Take the cup away. Well, I think if Jesus did it, then we kind of can. It's okay to mention to God the fact that you don't want to die, maybe. It's okay to mention that. Or maybe that you ask God to heal you or to heal your loved one. It's okay to ask God for maybe a different job or to ask God why this is happening. If that's your cry, the main point is that this, is that you got to be honest with the Lord. I think that's the important thing. Now, it doesn't mean that he's going to answer your questions or grant you all your requests, you know, but we need to open up. And if this is where you are as a person, if this is a desire that you have, you know, don't try to hide it from God. I mean, you can't hide it from God, right? But what ends up happening, I think, is this, is that when we try to hide things from God, like this is maybe what I want or maybe this is what I'm struggling with, then in all reality, we're trying to hide it from almost ourselves. And you're not dealing with the real issues in your life. Because if that's something that God doesn't want you to have, then you need to deal with it. You know, all I know is this, that 
You know, there's some people, I don't have any struggles. I'm doing good. How are you doing, bro? I'm doing good, doing good. You know, 50% of Christians are liars right there and then. Dude, you're a liar. <laughs> liars will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just do the log- logical flow, man. All I'm saying is that we have to be honest. Now, you don't have to tell everybody all your problems. And you might not even tell, you know, that one somebody who's your good friend. But you've got to tell God. Tell the Lord. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I like the way that Jesus prayed honestly. We know that the cup is a common symbol for a person's identity in life. We know that this particular cup meant humiliation, abuse, shame, pain, suffering on the cross of Calvary, and even a million times worse than that, this particular cup meant that he would be made sin. He would be made. He who knew no sin would be made sin for us. All of our sins were laid on him. And that moment when all of our sins were on him, he experienced all of those sins, and then the Father turned his back on him. And so we understand that human nature of Christ, and even to a certain extent that divine request, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And I think when the Lord prayed that, he was just praying Honestly, we know that not only is this cup those things, it's much more. It's infinitely more. When you read the Old Testament, that cup was the wrath of Almighty God that Jesus would experience on the cross of Calvary. And so he was just praying, you know, praying honestly. And that's important for us to do the same thing. You know, we understand this prayer right here came from Jesus Number one, honestly. And number two, we know it came repeatedly. It came repeatedly. And we learn how to pray. You know, I, you know, you prayed one time. Big deal. Keep praying. Jesus said, keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. He said to do it, you know, continually in Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he said, Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart, not to faint. Don't stop praying. And that's kind of what we see here. Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me. He went to his disciples. They were kicking it. They were asleep. He woke them up. He said, come on, you guys, you know, watch and pray. And then he went back. He prayed again. This time the angel strengthened him. He went back to his disciples, and what ends up happening? They're sleeping again. You know, imagine that if you called a prayer meeting with your three best friends. Imagine that. And, you know, let's just say, well, one extreme might be they didn't show up. That's kind of a, a, a bogus thing, huh? But what if you got, kind of got in your prayer circle and they just all started, like, snoring, man? Or just like if you knew, like, hey, let's gather together in this situation and let's lift each other up in prayer. And what if, you know, you're going through something tremendous and they just did not pray for you? That's what the Lord was experiencing. But it did not stop him. It didn't. And don't let it stop you. You might be the only one that's really praying. But it's okay. You pray honestly. You pray pray repeatedly. The third thing is you and I, we need to pray earnestly. We need to pray earnestly. Because look what ends up happening right here. The angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. 
It says right there that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Have any of you guys ever prayed that hard? Just out of curiosity. It's called hematidrosis, right? It's a medical reality that can happen when those capillaries burst and the blood seeps into your sweat glands and literally, you know, drops of blood hit the ground. And I, I don't know if you can see how hard he was praying, how earnestly he was praying, what was going on here in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that in the first garden, Genesis chapter 3, that's where the first Adam did what? He fell. But now here we have the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, and here we see that this second Adam prevailed in that garden. And that's happened how just through this place of earnest prayer, he prayed honestly, he prayed repeatedly, he prayed earnestly, and, you know, I, I would encourage you, myself, you know, one thing that I'm just so blessed in is that even though I've been a Christian for so long, you know, it, we're still growing, huh? I mean, I'm just so excited about growing. I'm excited about getting to know the Lord in a more deep, deeper way. And, and this prayer part is just so awesome, man. You know, to be able to pray more earnestly, you know, James chapter 5, it talks about praying earnestly. It says in verse 16, Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay, you want to get healing. You know, we got to do it God's way. Confess your sins to one another. You, is there any sin in your life? Well, maybe that's part of the reason. Not always, but sometimes. And so you're confessing your trespasses to one another. You're praying for one another that you can be healed. And it says right here, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he points to Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed, here it is, earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heavens were open and gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You know, and that's where we need to be. I mean, there's nothing too hard for God. Nothing too hard for God. God can close the heavens. God can open the heavens. God can save your loved one. God can save your marriage. God can work in the hearts of your children, in the ministry, whatever it is. There's nothing too hard for God. But a lot of times I think for us, it's too hard for us to pray. Why? I mean, I tell people, especially in marriage situations, man, whatever you do, don't give up on this marriage unless you've exhausted your resources. You've done your best. And, and, and one of those resources is this resource of praying with all your might. You know, if you were to see Elijah praying more earnestly, what does that look like? Well, you want to know what it looks like if you go over to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41 through 46, it says that he got down and he put his head between his knees and he prayed. Okay, when was the last time you put your head between your knees? Now, I know for some of you here you can't. I understand, okay? <laughs> but for a lot of us here, man, we can. Get on your face. Get on your face. I know it's the posture of the heart, but let's do business with God. He put his head between his knees 
once and then again and then again and again and again and again and again. He did it seven times until finally God sent rain. See, this is who Jesus is. He commands us to pray, but even more beautiful than that is he modeled this. You know, he prayed honestly, God, Father, if it's your will, let this cut pass from me. He prayed repeatedly over and over and over again. He prayed earnestly. And then the last one, probably the most important one, is he prayed, if I could just say, yieldedly. Yieldedly. We don't go to God and tell him what we want. We don't go to God with commands. We go to God with, Lord, I I would just like to bring this before you. This would be so wonderful, Lord. You know, if we could get a building out there, we can be out in the streets and people could see and we could just reach out to more people. And the Lord says, listen, it's not about the big building budget or body, man. It's never about that. You can be a church, you know, a thousand miles wide, but two inches deep. It's about the work that I want to do. So, Lord, we're asking for this, but primarily, Lord, we are asking for not our will, but your will be done. Because imagine if the Father answered the human aspect of Jesus' prayer and the cup did not come to Christ, then we would all be in our sins. And here we are today, and we're asking for prayers, you know, and we don't understand why God doesn't answer our prayers. Well, it's because he's got something better. It's a bigger plan. It's a grander plan, and that's so cool to have that in our heart. First John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, If we ask anything according to his will, then he hears us, right? And that's why it has to be under the banner of what Christ has shown us. I pray, you guys, that we would not only emulate Jesus' prayer life, knowing that we're not going to be able to stand before men or temptations unless we first knelt before God. I pray that we would not only emulate him for this, but also worship him for this. Because as he was there, sweating drops of blood on Calvary, we find that it was there that really... He won the battle for us. A lot of people say that this was the hinge on which our salvation swung. That's how important prayer is. Because what's going to happen? Well, then we see this whole thing that leads to the cross in verse 47. Luke 22, it says, And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I'm going to give you guys three more things um, that I think we can like take to the Lord and really search our hearts. Because... I don't know about you, but the reality from my life is that right there is a cross. Right there is a cross. And God's calling me, like Bonhoeffer said, whenever God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And so he's calling me to die. You know, but things get in the way of me just 
fling myself on this cross where I must die so I can be the husband that I, that I long to be, that God wants me to be, the parent, the, the servant. But I've got to die, and it's so hard to die. There's a few things I think that get in the way and that the enemy sometimes will even throw our way that kind of get in the way of what God wants to do in our life. And we see a few things here. And the first thing is betrayal. Betrayal. Because as the Lord was heading towards the cross, you know, what comes before him? Well, this guy named Judas, it says in verse 47 that he was one of the twelve. And he went near and he drew near Christ and it says to kiss him. To kiss him. Now, someone has defined a kiss as the contraction of the mouth due to the enlargement of the heart. I don't know if that's true or not. But I know it wasn't true right here. Huh? Imagine that. And those were the, those days you'd put your hand on their shoulders, and that was the common greeting of the rabbi, and you give them a kiss. You know, it's interesting. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus told him before he even came, friend, 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 why have you come? I mean, this is the epitome of Proverbs 27.6. You know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, and I don't know, this is kind of like just a big blow. It's like a, a real, real, you know, hit of the heart that can make a lot of people stumble. You know, if you look at Psalm uh, 41, let's look at a couple of Psalms real quick. In Psalm 41, I, you guys know the prophecy here in verse 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread. You know, we went. We had Olive Garden together, man. You know, we grubbed together. I bet you there were times where he even paid for me and I, and I paid for him and we fellowshiped together. My own familiar friend, it says right here, he has lifted up his heel against me. And what that is right there is a description of the kick of a horse. My friend, my friend, look what this friend had done. Look at Psalm 55. If you go over to Psalm 55. In verse 12, it says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. And I've seen people, when they get their eyes on people, it's a good friend. It could even be a spouse. And what ends up happening is there's some type of betrayal there. And then they, they walk away. You know, and this can be a very difficult thing. It's one of the deepest pains an individual could ever experience. Jesus went through it firsthand. And the enemy, you know, tried to make him stumble, man. But the Lord went through it. And we need to go through those things as well. That's why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is this. This is David speaking of Ahithophel. 
Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And what we find is that Ahithophel, you know, he was one of David's main counselors. And this guy was, was just really blessed by the Lord, really wise, right? Until one day the devil got a hold of him too. And then so when Absalom's son, you know, rebelled against, I mean, sorry, when David's son, Absalom, rebelled against him and there was a mutiny in the monarchy, David fled. Ahithophel stayed with Absalom and gave him counsel. You guys remember this story? And what happened in the end? And this is real interesting because David is speaking of his betrayer. Jesus has his betrayer. You guys know how Judas died, right? How did Judas die? He hanged himself. That's the grammatically correct way to say it, according to my son. He hanged himself, okay? And so did Ahithophel. He hanged himself. You see what was going on there? That betrayal. And the Lord said, you know what would have been better for you to never be born, Judas? But we need to be careful. We don't become a Judas, but we might have Judases in our life. Don't let it stop you. Number first word is, is betrayal. The second word is battle. Because back in Luke 22, it says, And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. The first word that you've got to be careful of is that word betrayal. The second word is this word battle. Okay, and here's the way it works. All right, um, you know, here's all these detachments of troops, and some say even Roman troops. We know there were troops that were given to the Jews, and what we find is that there were multitudes there, right? But in the end, I mean, Jesus could have could have probably whooped them, huh? In, in in the blinking of an eye, he said, as a matter of fact, I can call for twelve legions of angels right now. A legion is six thousand soldiers. One legion for every guy, you know, the 11, himself. And, I mean, the bottom line is we, we can beat these guys, you know. They ask Jesus, hey, we've got the sword. Should we cut, you know, should we fight? And like a lot of us here, they ask the question, but they didn't wait for the answer, right? And you guys do that a lot. You know, we pray, oh, yes, Lord, I prayed about this. No, you didn't because you didn't hear an answer. Oh, should we? Oh, yeah. And so he starts swinging. Good thing he's not good at it, right? He just cuts off his ear. And the Lord just so cool. He says, you know what? I'm not going to fight. He just touches his ear. He heals him. And what he says is that it's not my, it's not my call to fight right now because there's a different type of fight. And the way that I think that works in my life and I think in your life is how many times could you fight? You know, your husband says something about you or your wife or maybe it's a friend over here. And, and you know what? You could fight. And you know you're a good arguer. You've got, you know, wisdom with words or whatever it is. And you can beat them up. And you've got a better point or whatever it is. And you should begin to go toe-to-toe with different things and, and battles. And the Lord says, you know what? That's not, that's not my desire for you. I remember one time, if I'm not mistaken, you know, one of these guys, he's a pastor, and he knows martial arts. Imagine that. Knowing martial arts, some of you here probably know martial arts, and someone came up to him one day, and they slapped him. Okay, now what would you do? You would hurt them, right? You're, you're not, I'm not just going to wrestle you to the ground. 
I'm going to hit you in the throat or something, you know. I'm going to make you suffer. I mean, that's the way we are, right? But what did the individual do? They walked away. Why? Because it's not always time for battle. But if you want to engage in battle, if you want to fight, you will not make it to the cross. You might win your battle. You might win your argument. But you will have lost the mission that God had for you. Be careful that you don't stumble over this betrayal. and Be careful you don't stumble over the, the battle. And then the last thing is this. This word of being bound. Because here's the last thing. Look what it says in verse 52. That Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him. Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. You know what the Lord basically said right now? He said, man, I could take you. You guys are crazy doing all these things. But you know what he basically, he basically in a nutshell did? Is he said, here. Go ahead and shackle me. Go ahead and bind me. And I'm reminded of Acts chapter 20, verse 23, where Paul said, I'm bound in the Spirit. I'm bound in the Spirit, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations wait me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's when you just surrender everything. And it's hard to be there. You know, we don't want to be bound. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to become a prisoner. But Paul was. He was a prisoner of Christ, huh? You see, this is the calling for us as Christians. My prayer, you guys, is that we would learn from our Lord. But even more than that, because it's so hard for me sometimes to make sure that I don't you know, discombobulate things. I really pray that we would love our Lord. Think about that, man. The God who spoke everything into existence by the power of his word, the God who maintains all the galaxies, he did this for us. He laid down his life. He was able to lay down his life because he laid up his prayers. And he's our model for us. I remember when we went to Cambodia, The first time we went there, it was a 16-hour flight, and it was a 12-hour layover, and we didn't sleep. We didn't get no sleep, right? So when we got there in Cambodia, I remember uh, we, you know, one of the very first nights we went to a Bible study, and um, we were all like just fighting so hard to stay awake. Have you guys ever been there? Some of you were like, "Yeah, I was there right now." I see it sometimes. Actually, <laughs> I didn't see anybody today, just to let you know. But sometimes I see people, are, uh, they're doing the shimas, right? 
And it's, uh, and it's so funny. And we were there in Cambodia, and we were just trying so hard to stay awake. And I remember one of the guys, Robert, he was tapping his flesh, and I said his name. Forgive me. <laughs> I did not mean to say his name. But anyways, he was just tapping his foot, and he's trying to stay awake. And next thing you know, we see the foot stops. <laughs> and we know, oh, homeboy's in trouble, man. <laughs> You know what? Here's the thing, and I want to close with this. Um, You can see it sometimes. When a person's foot has stopped, you know, when there's no longer that passion, when there's something missing, man, and you can see it in your own life when that foot has stopped. And so if you're here today and you're asleep, you're asleep as a Christian, my prayer is that you would awaken today to know that this was the route that our Lord took my encouragement to you is to pray, to make sure that you get that part of your life squared away, to where there's communion with God, so that you can then go out and take up your cross and follow him. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, you don't know him. And so my prayer is that today you would know he loves you. He did all this for you. And he went to the cross and he was nailed there for your sins. All the things you've ever done, past, present, and even future, were laid on him. And he died for you. He put in the grave, but on the third day he rose again. And the Bible says that if you would like to receive life, all you have to do is repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So that you can know, man, that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You can know that your sins are forgiven Jesus Christ is here today to set you free. He wants to, but he'll never force himself upon you. It's a decision that you have to make. And if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you would choose, you would decide to follow him today. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us another day, Lord, another opportunity to study your word, work in our hearts, work in our prayer life, Help us to pray honestly, repeatedly, Father. Help us to pray earnestly and yieldedly. God, help us to be able to overcome any barrier, whether it's a betrayer, whether it's a battle, whether it's bondage, even to our own will. I pray, Lord, that you would do a great work in all of our lives. We love you. Thank you for being such a wonderful God, that you would work in our hearts. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.